You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. My name is Lise Grande, and as the President and on behalf of the United States Institute of Peace, we're delighted to welcome everyone to this very special conversation with His Excellency President Hishalima, President of the Republic of Zambia. It is also my pleasure to welcome Special Assistant to the President of the United States and Senior Director for Africa at the National Security Council, Ms. Dana Banks, and Ambassador Johnny Carson, who served with distinction as the U.S. Ambassador to Kenya, Uganda, and Zimbabwe, and as Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs under President Obama. We are also honored that Ambassador George Moose, who is the Vice Chair of USIP's Board of Directors and who served with distinction as the U.S. Ambassador to Benin and Senegal and also as the Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs under President Clinton, will be here with us today moderating our discussion. This has been a tough year. COVID has devastated millions of lives and wreaked economic havoc across the world. Enormous pressures have strained democratic processes and systems in some places to the breaking point. In Africa, there have been two coups in Mali, one in Guinea, a military transfer of power in Chad, and failed coups in Niger, and now Sudan. Against this backdrop, Zambia's presidential elections last month stand out. For the third time in the Republic's history, power changed hands via the ballot box democratically and peacefully. Zambia's presidential election offers important lessons for Africa and for all of us on the value of strengthening democratic institutions, ensuring political pluralism, expanding the electorate, and protecting the vote. We invite everyone to follow today's conversation on protecting democracy, expanding opportunities, and building peace in Africa and Zambia and around the world on Twitter with hashtag HichLimaUSIP. It is my honor to welcome Ambassador Moose to the podium. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Uh, I have the distinct honor this morning of introducing to you uh, His Excellency President of the Republic of Zambia, Akayende Hichilima. Let me begin by offering my sincere congratulations to President Hichilima for his recent election, which marks an important milestone in Zambia's uh, democratic progress. Today's conversation is especially timely, given the significant challenges that Zambia and indeed the entire African continent have faced during the past year. Not least of these, of course, is the COVID pandemic, which has impacted millions of lives across the continent and impacted every African economy. It also has placed a particular strain on democratic institutions and democratic processes Despite these challenges, just a few weeks ago, for the third time in Zambia's history, political power changed hands via the ballot box, not just democratically, but peacefully. It was the culmination of a voting process that was widely seen as free, fair, and transparent by both Zambians and by the international community. On August the 24th, uh, at the conclusion of that process, His Excellency Akayende Ichilima was sworn in as the seventh president of the Republic of Zambia. In his campaign message, the president urged Zambians to respect democratic values, to address corruption, to restore the rule of law, and to revitalize the economy, a message that resonated with Zambian voters across the country. It was also a message that stood in sharp contrast to the increasing threats to democracy in other parts of, of Africa. 
Zambia's 2021 presidential election offers important lessons, and not only for Africa, on the value of strengthening democratic institutions, of ensuring political pluralism, of expanding the electorate, and of protecting the vote. USIP shares President Ichilama's democratic vision and his aspirations for his country and for the African continent. Mr. President, we are indeed honored that you and your delegation have agreed to join us here this morning. Um, I would like to invite you uh, to the podium to share with us some of your perspectives on the recent elections, but moreover, uh, their importance not only for, for Zambia, but for the African continent. Mr. President, uh, please, the podium is yours. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We're excited to be here. Very excited to be here. We're grateful for the opportunity that has been given to us uh, to engage with the U.S. Institute of Peace. Of course, senior government officials and other dignitaries that are here. On behalf of the people of Zambia, we're grateful very grateful for your warm reception and inviting us to this uh, platform, this very important institute in fostering peace, I believe not just in your country, but internationally. Peace, security and stability are of great importance to us in our country, in our region, and indeed in the world. Our main agenda, having won an election under very difficult conditions, circumstances, is clearly to develop our economy for the benefit of our people. It will not be possible, this will not be possible without peace and stability, without security. We are under no illusion at all that we will never achieve our objectives uh, of economic growth if our country, our region, our world remains unstable, because it will take away the resources, instability will take away the resources, will take away time that is required to reorganize our economy to benefit our people. And it's therefore important for us to address one or two things, a couple of things today, one of which is really to indicate the power of democracy, the power of the people to choose leadership that they believe will answer their challenges or the challenges they face. In our case, the young people, population, large proportion of the population are young people, women, deliver this change in a democratic way. And this is about a third time since 1991, putting 1991 together, 1991, 2011, 2021 is the third time that Zambians are delivering a peaceful change of leadership from one political party to another. I think this is important on our continent with the negative things happening in other parts of the continent. So I think something we can pick from there, uh, not just for Africa, but for other regions. As a new government, we are committed to human rights. We're committed to restoring the rule of law. We are committed to fostering democracy and what it offers for our people beyond our national boundaries. Transparency is very important in the way we will run the country going forward. Free media, very important, fourth estate. We've already sent a message, clear message to the media that they will self-regulate. They are very excited about this as a media because they've been gagged for too long, they've been attacked for too long in their cause of duty, unnecessarily. This will be a thing of the past. As I said, civil liberties, freedoms are very important to us, fundamental to a democracy. We're committed to good governance. As I said, good governance goes with restoring the rule of law. Just order in a country. Before we took over, before we assumed leadership for service, the country was in a very difficult space. A woman, widowed woman, could not trade in a market, could not feed her children, 
by trading in the market because party zealots, cadres hounded them out of markets. Just by a word of mouth, we've restored normalcy in public places in our country. That's what democracy can do with little effort, little money, but leadership is, is crucial. I think as part of lessons to learn, leadership is very crucial on our continent, in our individual countries. The COVID-19 situation has not helped our situation, or indeed yours and other countries. And I think it's important that we as a global community invoke and work together to mitigate the negative effects of the pandemic. We have inherited a very, very challenged economy. A huge debt mountain. We have to dismantle this because it's taking away resources for development. Two elements in our budget stand out. Two, only two, generally. One is debt service. Two is public sector pay. And they take away resources meant for investment expenditure, revenue generation, and therefore opportunity for our people in terms of jobs, in terms of business opportunities, in terms of health education. So we intend to deal with this issue vigorously, and obviously we invite the support of countries like yours and other countries that are part of the civilized world. Very important. Revolving around issues or issues revolving around this matter is of paramount importance to us because we know if we do not bring COVID under control, we have no chance in hell to revive the economy. And also, the first world will not have done or achieved much by vaccinating your people, and our people are not being vaccinated because we will become a perfect host or host for mutations. The pandemic will mutate in our countries. So you will not be successful here unless we are successful everywhere. We are committed as a new government to fiscal discipline, macro stability, growing our economies of paramount importance. That's what will support the social side. I like talking by way of equations, mathematical. One side is the economy, one side is social support. There's no way we can make social support viable, this part of the equation, if the economy is deleric, if debt is choking us. So we intend to use the mandate given to us by the people of Zambia to get this equation balanced properly and working for our people. International support in this area is of absolute necessity. But we will do things that are within our control, like controlling our own extravagant expenditure habits, reining in on this so we can release resources for development. But with that, it means we'll demonstrate commitment, we'll walk the talk, and requesting for international support should make it easier for you to look at our case. I think our case is special. Our government has been dubbed the New Dawn government. Some call it Freedom Day, Freedom Has Come. Literally that. There's a lot of messaging around just citizens feeling free at last. Freedom brings entrepreneurship to the table brings opportunity to the table. Environment is very important to us. We cannot accelerate economic development because we need it at the expense of opportunities for future generations. We've set up the Ministry of Green Economy and Environment. We've set up the Ministry of Small, Medium-Scale Enterprises to combine the needs of creating opportunities for our people, but at the same time, making sure that we do this in a responsible way, in an environmentally sustainable way. Because of where I am, this platform you've given me, I just want to confirm that. We are committed to making our contribution, active contribution 
in fostering peace, stability, security on our continent. This top priority. Again, a mathematical relationship or expression, this equation of economic development on one side cannot happen without peace and stability, security on the other. The two are hand in glove. And we intend to play our part actively. Zambia is committed to taking steps that will assure stability on our continent, on a global platform. Zambia's efforts, combined with the regional efforts, regional economic groups, SADC, where we belong, African Union, the United Nations, countries like yours that know the dangers of insecurity. You know it well, we all know it very well. We know the damage it can cause and the social friction and suspicions that can arise if this is not managed properly. So we'll play our part. We want to cooperate more with yourselves. This institute, this government, this institute, other governments, other relevant institutes would like to work with you in a meaningful way, not tomorrow, but like yesterday. Because the threat of what's happening in Mozambique is worrying us, I must confess. From Lusaka to the Mozambique border is only 30 minutes away by helicopter. And we can't wait, we shouldn't wait until the situation degenerates and walks through our borders. Let's work together in this area. So relationships with this institute, very important to us. US government, indeed, are the members of the global community. President, thank you for the opportunity to share our views on this platform. God bless. May I invite you to Thank you. join us here? Thank you very much. And may I invite our, our panel, please, please be seated. May I invite Director Banks and uh, Ambassador Carson to join us as well. Mr. President, we're, we're delighted that you have agreed to join us in this format because yes. it gives certainly all of us, but particularly you, an opportunity mm -hmm. to perhaps delve a little more deeply into some Indeed. of the themes that you outlined in your excellent remarks here. Indeed. Um, and I would like this to be a, a real conversation, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let me see if I can get, uh, get us going. Mm -hmm. um, I will tell you that um, um, the Zambian elections, your victory in those elections, was something that was was enthusiastically cheered mm -hmm. in its own right, mm -hmm. but also because, as uh, our president, uh, Lise Grande, outlined in her remarks, we have been sadly witnessing over the last several years uh, serious backsliding when it comes to democracy on the African continent, and let's be clear, beyond. Um, and so the Zambian elections gave us great hope. But we also know that this was a long-fought and hard-won victory. Indeed. Uh, and we are keen to learn the lessons of your experience in uh, making it possible for this third transfer, peaceful transfer of power mm. through the ballot box in Zambia. Mm. You alluded earlier to the importance of leadership. There's no question here, and, and I think we need to emphasize that. But there, there must be other lessons that I hope you will agree to share with us, um, not the least of which is the question of organization. Elections and electoral victories don't just happen. They, they require work, they require structure, they require conceptualization, and they require organization. Would you, would you take this opportunity to help us understand better? Thank you very what much. What went well in? Yes, I, I think the lessons for us are very clear. Yeah. Uh, and they can easily be isolated um, in categories, I think, that are logical. The first is a realization by players, participants mm -hmm. in a particular country, 
like ours, that democracy is the way to go. That we believe in the values around in a democratic dispensation. Because if we didn't believe in that, we would be looking for other ways of seeking public office. We wouldn't, because we don't believe in those other ways. Autocratic, uh, related ways, violent ways, no. So we're stuck with a democratic route. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Yeah. It's an important lesson. Because mm -hmm. if we, you weave away from there, as a group, as a political party, you are likely to falter, number one. Number two, to understand that the environment is difficult. So to be strong, to be focused, it's important. We went through quite a lot, and most of you are not aware mm. that uh, we were detained 15 times. And um, for many, if they would probably not survive 15 detentions. Yeah. So resilience, because you focused. Number three, strategy. Mm -hmm. Strategy strategy in terms of what we want to achieve, how to do it, tactics. We should have been in office much earlier. We believe we won a couple of elections, 2015, 2016, in a by-election. But we did not assume public office because we did not button up certain things. We think the election results were marginal, marginal in our favor, we believe. This is not for today's debate. That's what I believe. But because it, the results were not decisive, we allowed the people who count the votes and the regime in place to manipulate the results. So we set out in 2021, towards 2021, to win number one by a large margin, a landslide. I think we achieved that. Indeed. And it was difficult to manipulate, to play around with that. So the lesson for others is to, to focus, get your strategy right, win by big margin. So no arguments. Yeah. But to do that, you have to mobilize. Mm -hmm. You have to mobilize. You have to lead, especially the portion of the population which is largest, the youth. I think we did that. Indeed. What you. others heard from outside, uh, the youth nicknamed me Bali. <laughs> it was really an attachment and that the youth made that this is the team that can cross us over. So, so we did that. Number two, we understood that if we just won, although we would win by a large margin, without protecting the vote. It will be an exercise in futility. So we put in a place. So we put in place a program for vote protection. We did that. I think these are the two key things. But to achieve all of that, organization, leadership, getting to know your voters, getting to know what they want. Because for us, we drove our campaign on a platform of change. Change to do what? Economy. Economy. What does that mean? Food. Jobs, Jobs yep. business opportunities, better health, all of that. So the messaging then becomes an issue. I think that's mundane. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. That you, you make it sound so simple, but we, <laughs> as we listen to you, yeah. we, we begin to appreciate just how much work and thought mm. goes into the building of a successful mobilization mm. that in turn leads to a successful election. Mm. Uh, Director Banks. Um, the uh, Biden administration has made it very clear that democracy is going to be the central pillar of its foreign policy, and that was certainly reiterated uh, strongly when the president addressed the General Assembly just two days ago. Um, and I wonder if you could share with us the, the ways in which, um, and I'm sure this came up in the course of uh, the president's meeting yesterday with the, vice, with the Vice President Harris as well, share with us how the administration conceives of the U.S. role in being a partner for democracy in Africa and elsewhere around the world. 
thank you, Ambassador Moose, uh, and thank you to the USIP for for holding and hosting this important conversation and for welcoming President Hishalima here. Uh, I was had the honor of being present at your inauguration, and which was less than 30 days ago <laughs> now, and to go from there to see you here, it's truly, I think, remarkable and a strong signal to the continent. Uh, and really uh, exemplifies, Zambia does, and your victory and what you have done so far even exemplifies what the Biden-Harris administration wants to do in terms of promoting democracy. And as we've heard uh, this week in President Biden's speech at the UN General Assembly, uh, as is stated in our interim uh, national strategic guidance, democracy and democratic ideals are the foundation of our policy, both at home and abroad, but particularly um, in our U.S.-Africa policy, because we firmly believe that with you know, the trends of authoritarianism that we see around the globe, and certainly also in Africa, that we need to counter that with strong uh, countries and democracies who have shown, not just stated, but exemplified and exhibited a commitment to democratic ideals because it is democratic ideals, it is strong democracies with accountable institutions uh, that their populations hold them to account with, commitment to the rule of law. All of these things can deliver peace and prosperity for their people. So that is the basis and that is the foundation of our U.S. Um, Africa policy for this administration and we are really pleased uh, beyond that Zambia exemplifies that and is here to be able to spread that message and to you know, serve as a model for other countries on the continent. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that'll be very, a very reassuring message mm -hmm. to many Absolutely. across the continent. Uh, but Ambassador Carson Johnny, if I might, Absolutely. we have both <laughs> been laboring in this vineyard for many, many, many years <laughs> together and we, we know well the practical challenges and difficulties of, for partners, friends of Africa to promote, uh, promote democratic development institutions. You, not only in your role here at USIP, but also um, uh, on the board of directors of the National Democratic Institute. And I wonder, and we, we have both, I think, as we watched uh, the developments, the recent developments, questioned ourselves about what it is we need to do differently or do better in a practical way, not just in terms of our rhetorical commitment, but as a practical matter. And, and I wondered if you would share with us and with the president your, mm. your thoughts about what lessons we should take from the Zambian experience. Uh, Ambassador Moose, George, uh, <laughs> thank you very much for the question. Uh, I'd like to also uh, express my pleasure uh, at uh, being uh, with President Hichilema and congratulate him again for his uh, outstanding victory uh, in Zambia. I think it does constitute uh, a victory for the people of Zambia and a victory for democracy uh, on the continent. Uh, if I could, uh, I'd like to say uh, just a, a few words about democracy and, and some lessons. Uh, your victory uh, is an encouraging signal uh, that uh, the demand uh, for democracy uh, in Africa remains very, very strong and that there is an overwhelming desire among people to be able to select their leaders to be able to know that their government is one that they have chosen and one that is going to be responsive uh, to uh, their uh, desires. Uh, the polling data out there uh, strongly tells us, uh, based on what we see, that an overwhelming uh, majority of Africans support uh, multi-party democracy, uh, they support uh, term limits for presidents. Mm. They're opposed to mm. uh, military uh, coup d'etats, and they want governments that are responsive uh, to their people. But as Ambassador Moose uh, pointed out, and as your own experiences probably tell you, achieving democracy 
is an enormous challenge. Uh, we also uh, see, uh, based on what's been happening around uh, the continent uh, these days, uh, that uh, democracy is still enormously fragile mm -hmm. in Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, sustaining democratic progress uh, is uh, at risk in many places. And it's at risk in many places, I think, fundamentally for several different reasons, uh, which uh, you and other leaders will have to grapple with, mm. and some of which you've already spoken. Enormous democratic backsliding, people trying to change constitutions mm. to keep themselves mm. in power. It's also uh, a reflection of a rising authoritarianism mm. in Africa where a dozen leaders have enhanced their power uh, through various means. And now we have a couple of other things that are out there uh, that are of concern. And one clearly uh, is the rise of violent extremism. And you see it very closely in your own neighborhood yep. for the first time in northern Mozambique. And that is a challenge. And then finally, uh, most disturbing, is the return uh, of the military coup d'etat, something that we thought we had permanently pushed mm -hmm. aside. And these are issues uh, which are there. Uh, you've managed to keep your military in the barracks and neutral. Uh, yep. That has not been the case in Chad, Mali, most recently Guinea, and the attacks uh, uh, in Sudan uh, just last week. All of those are challenges uh, out there. There are lessons to be learned, but your victory, your victory uh, is an indication that the demand signal for mm -hmm. democracy and elected leadership, democratic governance, multipartyism mm -hmm. uh, is alive and well and that people want it. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, uh, Mr. President, let me turn it back to you yes. because um, as I said, I think many of us, friends of Africa, mm -hmm. um, are questioning um, whether we have it right in terms of how we go about supporting Democrats and promoting democracy. And I wondered if you would talk to us about the role of your external partners, not just in the general, but uh, you know, in what ways have we made your life easier, <laughs> and in what ways might we have complicated your life, perhaps unintentionally? Um, I, I'm very mindful, for example, Mr. President, of, of the, the power of incumbency, how difficult it is for an opposition party to challenge a party in power. And oftentimes, that power of that party in power is associated with relationships to external partners and actors. Indeed. And would you talk to us a little bit about how, what can we do to help sort of mitigate that imbalance, to level the playing field for movements, democratic movements that are seeking to challenge existing authority? Hmm. I, I think it's a very important uh, uh, um, issue you've raised. And, uh, but before I drove into that, mm -hmm. just to express my agreement to my colleagues mm -hmm. on the left deep knowledge that they bring to this discussion and which we share. Um, there is no democracy, a genuine democracy, that is um, shielded from what's going on elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist. Yeah. So a democracy within national boundaries or democracies in a regional organization like our Southern African Development Community, mm -hmm. is in the context of what's happening elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I think it is important we see things from the right angle. Otherwise, we'll miss the point. Our democracies in Africa are affected by what's happening in the global community. Um, who pulls in which direction? Mm -hmm. For what reasons? What's the interest of uh, global players in Africa on the continent? 
What do they want? Resources, influence, sometimes partnerships. So I think I want to dwell on partnerships other than other issues that interest countries outside of Africa to take interest in what's going on in Africa. So I think partnerships are very, very important. So you only, you get your partners, you choose your partners because you have certain things in common. So earlier you asked me a question, I said, <laughs> how did you do it? I said, first, believing that democracy is the way. Mm -hmm. So equally, it's important to agree that uh, in working with others that have an influence in your own country, whether you like it or not, is to try and isolate or identify those that you may share common values. Very important. Common values, that democracy is the one that should deliver for the people. Every time, people must be put at the center, our young people. So we think that um, in as much as we share values with yourselves, constitutionalism, rule of law, human rights, working against vices such as corruption, which really damages our countries, mm. beyond what some of you may even be conscious of. Mm -hmm. If you look at the debt issue I talked about in our country, yes. a huge debt portfolio, what drove what are the factors that led to such a huge debt mountain yes. when 10 years ago our debt position was around $2 billion after HIPIC mm. qualification? Mm -hmm. HIPIC, it was called HIPIC completion. Right. Yeah. We achieved that mm -hmm. at a great cost. Wages did not go up for a while, public wages, and the case was made that everyone must contribute towards taking our debt out. Mm. 10 years down the road, we have a huge debt. What motivated this? Yeah. Partially corruption. Where? Infrastructure. The appetite in the guise of infrastructure, money was borrowed, balance sheet was distorted, money was borrowed, but not all of it worked to help the country. Corruption. So if we talk against corruption, we, we search around. Who else will support us in the fight against corruption? I hope I'm making sense. Yes, absolutely. I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, absolutely. Who else? So who also does not believe in corruption? Because we have to relate with other people. We, we, we're not an island. We, we're a global village. So this is where alignment to values will be durable, will be long-lasting. Because you don't have to persuade others to share your views, because you already have a shared views based on values. Very important. I will not drive it beyond there. I think you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Again, we need to know that. We cannot run a country's elections purely on our own. We need minimum standards. What, what would we say are minimum standards for a democratic election to be called an election which is free and fair? So, electoral bodies that manage our elections, how do they do it, how independent are they, how will they ensure that the results reflect the, wheels, the will and wishes of the people. We've seen it before. So we're working on those issues, but we can only do that together with others that believe in what we believe in. And then we can offer opportunities for our people. I want to believe that um, if we leave say countries on the African continent on their own purely without supporting them, we risk seeing a backslide in democracy. Because the issue of colleagues wanting to extend their stay in office beyond what people have said, citizens have said, 10 years is enough. Whatever years you agree, some are here, they're extending the term to six, seven years. <laughs> I mean, if you have six years, seven years in office, seven plus seven is 14, plus seven is 21 years. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> no. Because the, the other matter is that um, mm. leadership at that level, at the president's, must not be really pushed because it benefits 
the occupant financially. When we drive it that way, people want to stay there forever. So I think we need to create alternatives for leaders in Africa. Indeed. <laughs> Clear alternatives mm -hmm. that when they leave office, they will still lead a decent life. And that brings me to the issue of, um, despite the past, for us how we were treated, we are determined that the colleagues that have exit don't have to fear that they'll be put through what they put us through. That's very important. So that they know that they'll be safe, they know that the rule of law applies to them as well, that they'll be protected, but yet the fight against corruption will continue because it will be run professionally by oversight institutions and we will not use a political hand for vengeance, for vindictiveness, for retribution, but more to recover assets that belong to the people of Zambia because they are the owners. Yeah. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, Indeed. but without abusing human rights, without threatening people to be put where they shouldn't be. Yeah. So I think a safety valve, I've been observing this issue, yes. a safety valve is very important for colleagues to know that they can exit office and still have a normal, decent life. And uh, I think sometimes, I know countries like yours have provided platforms to ease in yeah. leaders that leave office. I think we must create those opportunities. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point, Mr. President. And you're, you're absolutely right. This is something that, to which we have given thought in the past. And yes. your, your notion of providing an exit, yeah. a, a, an honorable ex exit for, for those who are leaving power. Otherwise, they have no incentive to leave. <laughs> they, they develop other ideas. They develop other Changing constitutions. <laughs> what, what we want to assure you, uh, yeah. and I will be abusive a little bit, the platform you've given me, I send a message to the people of Zambia. Mm -hmm that we should not entertain to create special favors for those occupying public office so they can stay in office longer. Mm -hmm. We've had constitutional review commissions in our country that have clearly stated, mm -hmm. as he, uh, my elder has said, uh, the desire of the people on our continent is with term limits so that we can turn over leaders and leaders can focus on saving the people and providing leadership to improve the lives of the people during the period that they're allowed to save the people. Mm -hmm. And I think um, this appetite, desire to say this one is special mm. and they must stay in office forever mm. breeds yes. autocratic behavior. It just filters through without even noticing it. And uh, we shouldn't do that. And I think the global democratic community should support African countries not to encourage our people, a small number, to, to do things like that. They end up ugly. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. President, if I just might tease out something that I think was implicit in what you said about the issue of corruption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, as we always say, it takes two to tango. Indeed. Uh, I, I think when it comes to the uh, issues of principle, there is perfect alignment, for example, with the U.S. government and mm. other partners who share this concern mm. about corruption. Mm. But I do think that we, all of us, <laughs> need to examine exactly how our practices align with our principles when Indeed. it comes to this issue. Agreed. Um, and, uh, and we have not been very good, frankly, in, in understanding and dealing with, if you, if you will, the root causes of corruption mm -hmm. and how it becomes embedded in and endemic to especially developing countries, which are in... Uh, in a weakened position to deal with powerful external actors. So Indeed. Uh, I, I think there was a bit of the, that implicit in what you said, <laughs> it, and I wanted true, to tease true. it <laughs> true. Uh, uh, Director Banks, um, returning again to uh, the Biden administration's very forthright um, pronouncements in terms of its hopes and aspirations for, for Africa. And, and we know that, uh, as the president said earlier, and democracy cannot flourish in the context of economic deprivation and uh, threats to security. That's right. Um, and I know already the administration has begun to articulate a, if you will, a, a strategy. Mm. Mm -hmm. And could you share a little bit about how you, how the administration sees these elements and how we hope to um, 
bring them together into a strategy that would address precisely the kinds of concerns that mm. the president raised earlier? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I think the first sort of visible um, element of the strategy that we will see shortly is uh, the summit for democracy mm. that you know President Biden committed to holding um, during the campaign, mm. and we are um, looking at scheduling for, uh, before the end of the year, mm. uh, where we will invite um, selected countries to talk about you know, the ideals, the tenets, the foundations of democracy, and to help serve as an example and, and a model for other countries um, so they can share and export mm -hmm. their um, democratic experiences. And look, no democracy is perfect. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, mm -hmm. democracies are fragile mm -hmm. and require work. Um, and so this will be uh, the beginning of a process uh, that will um, extend throughout uh, the following year uh, with a follow-up um, uh, summit uh, later at the end of, of the following year. Um, but I think in general, you've, you've already seen as well the president talk about his commitment to combating corruption. Uh, he issued a national security mem memorandum mm. um, talking about combating corruption, mm. again, which erodes democracy, and as you mentioned, mm. um, President Hishlima. So, uh, again, when we know that when populations, when people have an eroded confidence in their governments to deliver for them, then that also impacts economic prosperity in a country. It, you know, it, it draws away uh, investors who would be looking at investing in a country and providing more jobs and opportunities for the people of the country. So we know, combating corruption is, I think, another key element of our strategy in order to make countries more prosperous, to help them uh, recover even from uh, the economic effects of COVID-19 as well as the health, um, the very real health uh, impacts, and not just COVID-19, mm -hmm. but also the following uh, pandemic. And as we saw the president host uh, his summit on COVID-19 yesterday and the commitments that were made in terms of providing additional doses um, around the world to lower middle income mm -hmm. and middle income countries. Um, so I think these things in tandem lead to what we're trying to do on the continent uh, in terms of increasing economic growth and prosperity uh, through uh, the uh, Build Back Together campaign of the Prosper Africa Initiative, which brings together 17 U.S. government departments and agencies to increase uh, two-way trade, mutually beneficial trade uh, for the people of Africa and for uh, Americans. Um, and with a specific focus on encouraging investors, uh, women investors, and small and medium enterprises. So I was very encouraged to hear, President, about your creation of a ministry focused on small and medium enterprises. So again, Zambia really is leading the way uh, as an exemplar of the U.S.-Africa policy that this administration is trying um, to, to promote. So I, I think you, if you look at all of these elements, how democracy delivers for its people, how combating corruption increases confidence in the people and uh, in the in investors, um, and that can bring greater security. So that's the final element mm. of the policy. And you talked about, I know you're uh, concerned with uh, what's yeah. going on in northern Mozambique mm. and security. And really, if you look at the root causes, it is about lack of opportunity. It's lack of, you know, jobs and education. So, and, and even though it will take some time to address, we have to start looking at the root causes, which we are, which while we're focusing as well on youth and making sure that they're fully engaged and have employment opportunities that will deter them from taking some mm -hmm. of these more extreme elements. Um, while also working with our colleagues in the security se sector and Department of Defense to look at the very real security challenges in the region, uh, which is necessary to address at the same time. But we, we, we look to our regional partners, um, we look to host governments, we will partner with them mm -hmm. to lead the way on this, addressing the security challenges, but also addressing the root causes. Great, that's very Thank important. you very much. Yeah. Um, I, I, in the interest of being also, again, very candid, Mr. President, I will say that we, too, have learned some very important lessons over the last 20 years. We are, we, have, we just marked the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Um, we know all of the structures and strategies that were put in place in the wake of 9-11 to try to deal with both the threat to us directly, but 
the growing threat of violent extremism to everybody in the rest of the world. And yet here we are, we're 20 years on, that threat is still very much with us. And I wondered, I wanted to turn to, to Ambassador Carson, who knows Mozambique as well as, <laughs> as any of us, and of course who also served as our ambassador next door in, in Zimbabwe, and, and perhaps reflect a little bit on particularly the thinking that's going on in this house at USIP as we're thinking about this, this, this uh, ongoing threat and challenge of dealing with violent extremism, mm. how it relates to those other agendas. No, thank you, uh, George. And I think that uh, we have to take the issue of violent uh, extremism very, very seriously. But as we look at trying to combat violent extremism, yeah. we shouldn't focus all of our energy and activities on looking at military mm. solutions. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because military solutions may, in fact, drive uh, an immediate cessation of uh, activity or a decrease in activity but they don't, in effect, address the root causes uh, of, of the violence uh, that has emerged. And looking at issues of violent extremism, whether it is in northern Mozambique, whether uh, it is in the northeastern corner of Nigeria and the Lake Chad Basin, or whether we're looking at the situation in Mali uh, and the Sahel. Mm. Uh, it is important to uh, determine, and we try to do a lot of that here in this building, to determine what are the drivers mm -hmm. uh, of these uh, various uh, conflicts. Why is it that we have seen uh, people uh, turn away from civil responses to militant uh, responses, and how do you dig down into those and find out what they are? And I think in doing so, it's important to look at those root causes, mm, yeah. but it's also looking at how you build uh, understanding and resilience in communities, <laughs> working with women, working with youth, working with traditional mm. leaders, uh, working with local government uh, leaders in the, uh, in, the, in the process to help uh, address those root causes, help to build resilience, mm -hmm. and help to reduce the fragility uh, that uh, is a part of the situation. Uh, in the case of uh, Mozambique, uh, uh, even before the uh, jihadists and religious element came into play. Uh, it was, in, in fact, an area uh, of the country whose importance and wealth was increasing, while uh, mm. the impoverishment and the marginalization of the communities was decreasing. And what you have is a period of enormous neglect uh, in a region of great wealth, uh, which has now been exploited by uh, individuals Coming, out, coming in and taking advantage uh, of the anger and resentment and marginalization that has already been there for long periods. Yeah. Mr. President, I was going to uh, be, uh, I'm, I'm being reminded that you, you have a, another life <laughs> and other obligations to meet. And yeah. we certainly don't want to prevent you yeah. from doing so. But I, I just wanted to say, uh, and I want to give you an opportunity yeah, just, to just to tug on what but let, me, let me just say that what Johnny just yeah. described from my perspective, is one of the most impressive aspects of your mobilization. Indeed. Right? Indeed. I mean, what, what you succeeded in doing was building those relationships with community groups, with youth, with women. Absolutely. So that, indeed, um, there was a, 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 a reasonable hope on their part that this was going, this being a part of this movement, was going to help them achieve their aspirations. So, uh, in, a, in a way, Johnny, I think what we what we'd like to understand exactly. more and is, is exactly is exa how 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 you conceive that, how you did it. Anyway, I would like to give you an opportunity to. Yeah, I think to, just a tag. To, exactly. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Go ahead, sir. No, no, no. Just a little tag. 
on uh, the root causes of some of these um, uh, negative things that are dreadful, uh, dreadful from any angle. I like what, is, what I'm hearing here. Hmm. What we went through as an opposition party in our country was a systematic marginalization by the party in office. Mm -hmm. and name-calling, mm. abuse, characterization that we actually were viewed as not worthy citizens mm. of our country. And uh, we had to come around that characterization to make sure that citizens didn't believe the things that were said. It is possible for a regime to create an imaging imagery position of a genuine democratic opposition party, which leads to marginalization, which leads to exclusion. That's dangerous. So I just wanted to share that part that one of the things we did then from the opposition is to go out to the communities, even those that were made to believe that the country must be run on ethnic grounds. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And on that basis, economic exclusion, mm -hmm. job opportunities, mm -hmm. business opportunities, mm -hmm. literally no contracts to do business. Even when people owned a small asset like a house, tenants got scared to rent such a property because of that characterization. So we had to undo all of those issues by going to community to say, we're here to reunite this country. This country's been divided on many you know, angles. So reuniting the country is one of our key flagships. Of course, the economy, rebuilding, we discussed that, but reuniting the country. Liberty, we, we went out to do that because we were marginalized ourselves. Mm -hmm. Our businesses were attacked right, left, center. And uh, people lost jobs in the civil service because they were suspected of being Mm -hmm. members of our party. So it was such like an impossible mission, but we came around that by going to communities, using community leaders, using church leaders, using the people who influence communities to say, this route is dangerous. This route will cause something we don't want. So we worked on the message of reuniting the country, the message of inclusion and not exclusion, the message of opportunity for all. So I think if you parallel Mozambique issues, there could be elements that could have been allowed to degenerate either by geographical region mm -hmm. by or by whatever separating you know, factors. So we're working on the, for us, even now, on the fact that we are one Zambia, one nation. And that's what uh, our founding father, Kenneth David Kaunda, the first president, taught us. So, so we're reincarnating those Mm. issues of unity, inclusion, access to opportunity for all. And I think partially that won us the election, and we will live by that, so that no Zambian feels that uh, because there's a new UPND government, then they will be marginalized. That will work against. So I just thought I should draw that parallel mm. with Mozambique, mm -hmm. because we are, we are neighbors with Mozambique. Yes. We were feeling the issues of that nature. Mm -hmm. And those are, I think, good breeding grounds for negativity. Yeah. And I think Africa, as a continent, we should learn from those issues. Whoever is a leader at a particular time must bring all citizens to the table and allow citizens to compete, mm -hmm. to access opportunities. We are determined to do that. Thank you. Mr. President, I want to thank you very much. I think from my perspective, what you just said may be the most important lesson that we should all draw mm. from your experience, your leadership, um, and the progress that Zambia has made, continues mm. to make in the area of democracy. I appreciate also your, we've been remiss in not invoking the memory of President Kaunda in, in this conversation. Mm -hmm. He was the first African president I ever met <laughs> in 1975. <laughs> So yeah. Thank you for doing that as well. But most of all, thank you for honoring us with your presence here today. And thank you for sharing with us. Mm. As you can tell, we are eager, we're hungry to understand better what we can do better as partners and friends mm. to ensure um, 
the continued democratic progress for a continent which is very dear to us. Mm -hmm. And you have helped us immensely in doing that. Uh, we hope there will be other opportunities. You will always be welcome in this house. So thank you, thank you all. I want to thank uh, our distinguished panelists, uh, Director Bass, Pastor Carson. And I above all want to thank uh, the audience that has followed us uh, online uh, and hope that you will continue to follow um, our conversations here at the U.S. Institute of Peace. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Thank you.